Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostrosser, the host of Disrupt Education. Hey, when you get a chance, hit that subscribe button. That way you'll get all the podcasts as quick, as soon as they come out. You'll be the first to hear them. Also, if you don't mind heading over to peterhostrosser.com or disrupteducation.co, you can check out all my blogs, where I'm going to be, and different ways we can connect and help reform education together. On today's podcast, we have Devon Alexander. He was born and raised in the northwest suburb area of Chicago, Illinois. Given his lived experience of race within American society and the American educational system, it's fitting that Devon grew up in the suburb Chicagoland area immortalized in John Hughes films like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Breakfast Club, and Sixteen Candles. Devon came of age as a young male of color in a social and cultural environment that was a tempest of racial dissonance. It was within schools that he became increasingly aware of the disparity between his developing racial consciousness and the people with whom he inhabited these environments. As a racial equity and racial justice coach, he works with the hope of transforming the systemic racial inequities and injustices that diminish the lives of and within organizations. Right after this break, we jump in with my good buddy, Devon Alexander. If you have a child who's passionate about getting into a really great college, you take him to an SAT coach. If you have a child who's really passionate about playing basketball, you take him to a basketball trainer. But if you have a kid whose passion is off-brand or is trying to find their passion and ignite it, you need to take him to Peter Hostrauser. When I was a junior in high school, I began making videos on YouTube. We're doing something in my small business management class that has never really been done before. It wasn't before long that I met Peter Hostrauser, the small business management teacher who helped put me on a course of entrepreneurship, one of which has been the most uplifting and passionate journeys of my life. Peter is a master at pinpointing passions and opening doors for the youth who need just one correct move to set them in the right direction. He will triple down on their strengths, help them build their network and portfolio, and most importantly, help them utilize these learning points so that they can make money with their passion to live their dream life. I, as well as many others, can honestly say that we wouldn't be where we are without his business and coaching expertise. If you're looking to help your student ignite their passion, contact Peter Hostrauser at phostrauser at gmail.com. The Disrupt Education vlog can be found on YouTube. To hear it in podcast form, search Disrupt Education on any of the following podcast platforms. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or Stitcher. Welcome to this episode of Disrupt Education. We've got a great guest, golf buddy, friend, racial equity coach, Devon Alexander. Devon, thank you so much for being here, man. Pete, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. All right, Devon, let's jump in and tell the listeners who you are. Let's let's say who you are and what you do. I'm a Northwest suburban land, Chicago area, black African-American male, educator, facilitator, coach, leader. That's that's a you always have a lot and a golfer. Let's let's go there too, right? Let's go to golf in there. <laughs> Obviously, so um, let's go into your your educational path, right? So, um, Palatine area, 
right? Mm-hmm. Is that where we grew up? Um, and and if, for those who don't know, it's northwest suburb of uh, Chicago. Um, tell us a little bit about your path in education. I, I say it all the time that um, an individual's life experience before they show up in the world is, you know, coming into the middle of whatever their parents' circumstances are. And so I would say that my educational experience is a direct result of my parents being born in the 50s, 60s, uh, coming through the the aftermath of the civil rights era and, and that racism that that generation went through. You know, I was I was living through the the most immediate legacy of that. And so educationally, I grew up in a low income apartment housing, uh, roach infested, urine stained hallways, gang life, just really chaotic, toxic living environments. And the way Chicago land breaks out in terms of its segregation. Most of the people living in those spaces were people of color on the outskirts of uh, the single family home, predominantly white parts of the town. And so all the schools would be on on that side of town, on the white side of town. And that experience as a kid was real palpable, real tangible. We knew that we were crossing lines, going over to their town, their side of town. Everything's over there. And so having those kinds of living conditions on the on the side of town where people of color were living school wasn't a priority you know school wasn't about learning and development school was about escape from the those dysfunctional components of those communities of color the the legacy that we lived through of american racism we got over into school, it, you know, it was about freedom, liberation to some extent. And so as a student, I, while I was uh, talented, capable academically, my focus was on my friends, athletics, the social aspects of school and girls. And it stayed that way for, you know, much of my my early elementary, middle school, and half of high school. And I didn't really turn it on. I didn't really um, utilize my academic gifts until second semester, sophomore year. So what I knew as a kid growing up, parent-teacher conferences, teachers would always tell my mother he, he has the potential. He just isn't applying it. I heard that message from as, as early as I can remember parent-teacher conferences. And, and I knew that to be the case throughout elementary school and into high school. And, you know, I made the decision post junior high school to go away to attend mili- well, Culver Military Academy, Culver Academies. It's a, uh, a boarding prep school for the boys. It's, it's a military structure. And then there's a girl school also on campus and, and there's, there's a leadership structure. Best decision I ever made in my life. Hmm. One of the best decisions I made in my early life, so 14 to 18 years old, it put me in a situation where I was out of the the immediate dysfunction that resulted from racism in my parents' life, um, and I was in an environment where I was faced with choices 
for myself as an as, as an individual, as a young teen, as a as a growing teenager, as a student. And the military system really it suited me well. You know, it positioned me with a, a pathway to achievement. I wanted to be one of the top military cadets in the school, and to do that, all I had to do was make that choice. And in my sophomore year, you know that that choice to to succeed in the military system, in contrast to my uh, lack of focus on academics, well, they they collided. Hmm. And my my lack of academic focus, though, you know, I could crap out a B with hmm. little to no effort. Because I wasn't focused, because I wasn't trying to achieve at higher levels academically, that threatens to keep me from being able to advance militarily. And, and I wasn't willing to accept that. And so I had to make a change academically. And it was at that point that all of those conversations in parent-teacher conferences where teachers claim that I had potential to be really gifted academically. I realized I, I didn't get anything below a 3.0 after that point for the, the latter, the second half of my high school career. That success militarily academically led me to a Wabash College down in Crawfordsville, Indiana, hmm. an all-male, uh, small liberal arts college. And at the time, that's what I needed. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I just had two and a half years of really pursuing my best academically. But, you know, two and a half years isn't enough time over a lifetime of education to really solidify my, that academic ability. And so that small school environment, I had some really good friends from Culver who attended there. It was in Indiana. Mm -hmm. I was comfortable with Indiana in spite of the racism that exists there. <laughs> You know, I knew how to navigate that space. I would be doing it with, with two of my best friends from high school. And I really started focusing on, you know, I can see I am academically gifted. Mm -hmm. What will happen when that is my sole focus? When I really focus in on developing that academic gift to its fullest um, in relationship to whatever my, my purpose, my calling is in terms of a career. And so over that time, I really, I really started moving down that path of uh, race and sociology, coupled with uh, faith-based uh, organizations and, and American life, so faith and American society, and also studying English as a potential career as, a, as an English teacher. For your journey, then you 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 actually took it upon yourself to become a racial equity coach to really start to dig into um, what I'm guessing you 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 were just saying like you know trying to you know try to figure out those navigation areas and, and to help others and you've made this your life work. Can you tell us a little bit about going into becoming the then like that transition? So you teach English at high school, um, and you also are. You know, I'm going to go ahead and say United States renowned because right now, um, you're 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 very well known in, in the racial equity coaching uh, areas. Tell us a little bit about that. So, what, how did that come of and uh, of that? You've taught me a lot, is what I'm trying to say here, and and that's that's amazing. And there's so far to go. So, tell us about that that transition then from 
college into where you are right now and a little bit about what you're doing. One, thanks for the affirmation, bro. You know, yeah. I appreciate it just as friends, as in, as a, as a uh, interracial friendship, acknowledging that that impact we have on each other and our work for sure. You know, we, we growing together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, race and education have always been linked for me, given that that experience across those racial lines and it being directly tied to school and our interracial experience in school settings. And so I've always felt that schools were places that replicated uh, the racism that diminishes the life potential, the life experiences of all of us within them. And so I always knew that going into teaching, I was going to uh, focus in on that path as well as the academic development of students. You know, this this line from our covert code of conduct, my aim in life is to become the best person I can be. To this end, I will strive always to develop my potential to its fullest, physically, morally, intellectually, spiritually. And that academic development and that life development have always been key for me as a teacher. And so coming into back to the Chicago land area, back to that racialized space of school settings, you know, upon attaining my first teaching position in a school that's touted uh, for its racial diversity, its uh, valuing of the racial experience, its uh, claim to be uh, ahead of the curve in terms of race and schooling. You know, I just found that those, those narratives, those mythologies weren't real on the ground. And so from professional development to teacher-student experience, to curriculum, to leadership uh, and race, the system was just out of whack, man. It, it replicated that that regular dysfunction. And so for me, having studied it my whole life, um, once I got into that situation, I just put my nose to the ground. I hit the stacks, hit the books, and I studied the intersection of race and education. I picked up everything I could read relative to just the, the field of study. And then I began studying the art of facilitation and professional development in school settings. And, you know, 15 years later, <laughs> I'm, I'm a national racial equity consultant coach. After the short break here, we'll get back in our discussion with Devon Alexander. Take a moment to subscribe to the podcast if you already haven't done so. And check out my new company with two other founders called Hall Pass Education. So head over to get a hall pass and check it out. We'll be back right after this. I want to take a moment and talk a little bit about Hall Pass Education. The mission of Hall Pass Education is to provide individuals the empowerment they need and desire to be successful in their future business and careers. This empowerment will be achieved via affordable training, coaching, and partnerships. Basically at Hall Pass, we're going to partner with others like you to demonstrate to creatives the path to career freedom through focused and intensive dialogue and coaching that you might not have previously realized. Head over to getapallpass.com and sign up for more. That's getahallpass.com and sign up. It's totally free. Check it out. What are some of the the things we know 
you know, as a white male, I'm understanding and learning constantly about things that I've never been exposed to, not only on the golf course with you, but honestly, I've been through uh, a couple of your professional developments um, when we worked together at the same school. Um, what are some of the highlights over those 15 years that you've moved the bar a little bit or changed something that you've seen? Um, and then obviously we can go into the other things that, what are like maybe one or two things you would like to see changed in your lifetime? Um, as we know, this whole system works very slowly. You, you've seen some good things happen, yet we still have this amount of work to do. Uh, you know, I'm liking it to content, process, and product. So in terms of content, over the years, I've really found that it's just not, in terms of our education preparation, it's not content that we're learning. And so there's so much out there written about race, race and education, race and society. Uh, you'd never run out of resource material for that, that study and that preparation. And so for me, uh, four key theories really stand out as uh, central to shifting individual educators. Um, whiteness is property, Cheryl I. Harris just really lays out social construction of white superiority in the country and how the concept of whiteness continues to shape and structure society in our lives. Uh, Joyce E. King's Disconsciousness and Disconscious Racism, uh, Ideology, Identity, and the Miseducation of Teachers, published in the, the late 80s, early 90s, she really reveals how American racial socialization lives in us and shows up in us as educators. Uh, Robert D'Angelo's piece, My Class Didn't Trump My Race, Using Privilege, to face oppression. She lays out this concept of uh, common patterns of internalized white racial dominance. Those common patterns I experienced directly in my early teaching career in that site. Uh, now going around nationally as a racial equity coaching zone, I see them play out across the country and across the world. And then the last one is Ricky Lee Allen's uh, White Dialogic Domination, which essentially says that you know, when you're in that predominantly white space, like American society, like the educational institutional system, uh, the white racial perspective, the white racial narrative dominates to the, the detriment, to the oppression and suppression of other racialized expressions. So that's the content piece that is really beneficial and shifting. I call those the four foundational articles uh, in terms of process. Lately, I've been likening the work to... Uh, the kinds of processes that, that other professionals go through and the time that's required for individuals to move from a novice to a, a really effective, masterful individual in their craft. And so I like a process that is progressive in terms of development. It, it, it takes years uh, for educators to overcome the years of socialization that they've had around race. Now you're in the profession, not only are you trying to learn your craft, but you're also having to unlearn the ways in which we've been detrimentally impacted by race in our society. And so really extending a progressive development process for educators, I found that to be really effective. It gives them the space, the grace, and the compassion to grow as long as they are uh, serious and conscientious about getting better for the sake of one, the, the children whose lives are there to be developed in those academic settings and to themselves and the other adults there. And then the last one is product. 
So where I've seen it shift is a, a professional development program that is comprehensive, that is practical, and that's accessible for educators to work their way through it over time. Those three components, man, I've seen shifts happen. You know, in education, and, and we've been there, we've been through PDs, we've been through all these different things that are one and dones, or okay, we're gonna do this for this year and then it's out. Um, one of the things you've really taught me is this is something that is deeper than that. This is the unlearning part and then the relearning or, or new learning part um, to this process is is a lengthy piece. It's not something that we can just say, okay, well, all right, fall of 2021, we're going to do this. And then, yeah, we're going to check that off the box. It just doesn't work that way. And you've really helped me realize that. And I really like that about, you know, our conversations. And when you work with schools, tell us a little bit about like, when you work with, so you have clients and, and things like that. So what, tell us about what, what is that path look like? Is it, uh, you're in, you, you specialize in not just checking the box, man. It's, it's really, you like you just said, going deep into things and, and really, you know, this is, this is, man, I don't know how to say it. It's not a short term thing. This is something that, that is something that, um, a school has to be all in and it can't surface level. We see a lot of surface level things. I mean, I've experienced it. You've experienced it. Um, what kind of things do you do differently to where you kind of, you, you create that kind of culture of learning culture? I don't know. That's just me saying yeah. that, but yeah. Man, for real, I, I treat it like re-education. So we're, we're just going back to school. You know, we spent two one, two years in, in a teacher prep program, but we spent four, six, eight in undergrad and grad school. Mm -hmm. And then once we got in the profession, we had that probationary period of <clears throat> typically four years. And so if, if really, generally a 12 year process is the process for individuals to become proficient in a craft, mm -hmm. in a field of study, then why do we treat professional development any different? You know, we need to give it that same space and then we need to treat it with that same uh, critical focus in terms of this is learning, teaching and learning that have to take place. Even for us educators, we got to treat ourselves like students again and go through that process so that we can unlearn the, the ways in which race shows up in us and obstructs the academic and life development of kids. And so that's that's the biggest man, just treating it like re-education process literally from year one to year whatever it takes for you to get proficient effective and master um additionally in the spaces of school settings man what i found is that you don't need to look at it like you got to move whole systems at the outset you need to build cohorts cadres you need to build up that that critical mass of individuals who when the the system of uh, race and education opposes those kinds of systemic transformations, opposes those kinds of uh, individual agents who are working to improve the system on race. You got a, a, a critical mass of individuals who have the capacity to withstand it, who won't uh, allow themselves to emotionally check out because of the nature of the challenge that they will persevere 
and and uh, and they'll continue that process of learning in order to find new and innovative ways to counter and overcome those systems that want to oppose racial equity in school settings, man. Those are my two big ones. How do people find you, man? Um, I'm going to guess after a lot of people hear this and and start, I mean, you already have, like I said, your clients are building, um, you're getting to capacity. So how do, how do people find Devon Alexander? You know, we have some things in the works. Uh, at this time, I'm, I'm working to build my personal brand. Um, in the interim, the easiest way to, to, to get at me is Devon at ParacletePartnerships.com. So that's P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E, partnerships.com. Uh, I'm always, always happy to talk to individuals out there, specifically in education, but then in other fields who just want to engage in serious and authentic conversation about the intersections of race and what they do. And then to build that kind of community collaboration is what I'm all about. So I'm here eager to talk. Devon, thank you so much. A, for just honestly, as a white male, I've learned so much from you in the education system. Um, kind of a little bit of a reason why Disrupt Education evolved. So I appreciate you for that. Um, but thank you so much for uh, talking to our podcast listeners. Um, I appreciate you. And uh, thanks so much for being a disruptor of education in a great way, man. Thanks, Pete, man. Appreciate the opportunity, brother. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we'll see you on Disrupt Education.